Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from 4 Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's a great, it's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bolt, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and i enjoy it mm. from the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars hello and welcome to another edition of inside supercars joining me today it's the reigning journalist of the year stephen bartholomeus thanks for joining us Thanks, Craig. I think we've only got another month and a half or so uh, until we can't say that anymore. So I appreciate you uh, really giving it all it's got. You've given up the title already. One, uh, one mustn't assume anything. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to all your exclusives on tonight's show. Peter Norton from Inside Motorsport also joins us. And it's interesting Bathurst we enjoyed this weekend. Yes, Craig, very much a, an interesting one. Um, I somehow think it's one that will be remembered less for what happened on track, but more for what happened as cars left the track and things that were said and done completely off the track. Stefan, it's always good when the event has story after story that unfolds in front of your eyes. And to think that on Thursday night, the story that was being reported wasn't a story of the first day of practice, it wasn't the story of what the drivers said, it was the story of a fine that came the way of the drivers after what had been said. Yeah, well I guess the the fine was, the severity of the fine was as much the story as what uh, David Reynolds has actually said in that Thursday press conference. Um, so yeah, Supercars was certainly very quick to hand out a $25,000 fine for Dave's comments about the Supergirls entry, or comment, I should say, because it was only one very brief, loose comment before he then went on to express his support for the entry. And considering that car was being run by ProDrive, he was literally had been helping uh, Renee Gracie and Simone Di Silvestro get used to the cars and, and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, V8's made a very clear stand on that, and... Um, the Harvey Norman entry was obviously a big deal for them and they had the company CEO, Katie Page, there uh, throughout the Thursday showing it around and it was very embarrassing to be at Supercars for that, uh, that to occur. So um, the severity of the fine, as, as we're saying, was uh, certainly the topic of some debate for the rest of the weekend. Um, it, it took a few people by surprise, but at the end of the day, I don't think many people could argue that what was said was appropriate. Possibly the single largest fine for a driver in the history of Australian motorsport. Stefan. Yeah, well, um, I certainly haven't been through all of them, but I can't think of uh, anything bigger. Um, so, yeah, a bit of uh, stupidity, you could call it, a bit of uh, lack of thought before engaging the mouth uh, certainly cost, uh, cost a lot of money. Uh, and uh, interestingly, Garth Tander your reporting, Stefan, has uh, spoken about the crowdfunding that uh, has come from uh, the public to support David Reynolds and help him pay that $25,000 fine. 
Yeah, so there was a crowdfunding page started online that attracted nearly four grand um, in the last couple of days. And uh, yeah, Garth Tander went out and, and posted a sort of four, four or five sentence comment on his own Facebook page saying that he didn't believe that uh, fans crowdfunding fines was an appropriate thing. Um, he didn't actually mention David Reynolds by name, but it was pretty clear that that was what it was about. Um, and there's been a bit of nickel between uh, Garth and, uh, and David through through the season, including, of course, at Winton, where they uh, had a quite robust battle on and off track. Um, so the page has actually been pulled down this afternoon after uh, David was able to contact the, the people behind it. Um, and he stressed through, through another statement that he's, uh, he's going to pay it all himself. So uh, through, throughout the weekend, I was running into people and asking them what they thought of the whole situation and, and various various people were saying that they'd uh, slipped a five or a tenner in, uh, in Dave's pocket along the way, but, uh, which showed, I think, that most people thought it was probably a bit over the top by the supercars. But unfortunately, with the way it's sort of gone down, um, nothing sort of worked for, for Dave and his and he's had to ask them to pull that down because it was making him look even worse than he already did. Mm. And, Peter, the interesting thing about this whole issue which uh, has blown up is the fact that when you listen to the audio and you hear him say it, there's a bloody lot of people who laughed in that room. Yes, that's right, Craig. And uh, really what this is showing is that the, the sport, its foundation is based on Let's call them the you know the, the old-fashioned Aussie bloke kind of uh, you know personality where uh, they they enjoy a drink, they enjoy a joke, but the commercial reality uh, in some respects is that um, uh, there's not much of a future for a professional sport to remain based just on that. Um, Dave's timing was particularly poor uh, because Katie Page, the CEO of Harvey Norman, was at the track um, getting the, uh, the the royal tour of everything uh, by uh, James Warburton. Um, and, of course, Katie is quite uh, well known for her support of female sport in a lot of different categories. Um, the participation of girls in sport is something that is near and dear to her heart. So uh, a comment like uh, what Dave made was just bang on the uh, bang on target to really get under her skin, I suspect. Um, now, no suggestion that uh, she had any uh, part in uh, uh, deciding the fine, but Warburton would have been very aware of uh, you know, Caddy Page's uh, support of female sport and how damaging a comment like that would be uh, to that sort of initiative, to that sort of relationship. Um, you know, our V8 drivers, they enjoy uh, to be well paid uh, for, the, for their great skill. That depends on corporate sponsorship. And it's getting harder and harder to attract corporate sponsorship. So to come out the, on that very day to basically insult a new sponsor to the sport um, is just yeah, very poorly timed. My question to you first, Peter, and then Stefan because I know, Stefan, you were in the room where Peter and I hadn't got to the track. At, oh, no, Peter, you might have been there. I certainly hadn't got to the track at this stage. Peter, were it not for a $25,000 fine, how many people would have known of the comments? Um, a whole lot less. Uh, I think most people, uh, most of the journalists in the room, 
would have thought to themselves, yeah, that's not worth repeating, uh, and they would have left it at that. Uh, but there was one journalist who uh, uh, later that evening jumped onto Twitter uh, and shared it around. And I think that gave oxygen to it. Um, that let the, the whole thing grow to a point where V8 supercars couldn't just uh, ignore it, uh, and they, they, you know, they had to come out and make a stand for, for the values that they want to take into the future. Stefan, what was your take? Would that comment have received anywhere near as much traction were it not for the fine? Um, no, I guess as we said before, that the story was partly what he said and partly the severity of the fine. Um, but, you know, Dave has said that in probably the... Uh, one of the busiest press conferences of the year with more mainstream media and everybody there scrutinising everything that goes on because it's, uh, it's a great race. So, um, yeah, probably the uh, one of the funnier reactions to it was somebody who uh, asked me how much the team should be fined for calling it the Supergirls car, which uh, some people thought was sexist enough in the first place. So it's... Uh, I'd don't uh, think that a motorsport journalist like myself should be the moral police on, on all this stuff, but it's uh, it's interesting you can look at all those ones in a, in a different way. Mm. Now, Peter, certainly the stories you were hearing during the, during the build-up to the weekend and on the weekend was that David Reynolds was about to stay with the Bottle O team, and that's looking less and less likely as we get towards the... Uh, real pointy end of silly season and with announcements today which we'll talk about after the break those seats might not be around if that is so and, and David isn't renewed at, um, at uh, for uh, ProDrive Racing Australia. Yeah I think you're, you're spot on there the, uh, Dave seemed to be in a very good position with uh, uh, I guess you'd say plan A was to stick with ProDrive uh, plan B and there was Plan C, that there were a number of seats available to him. Uh, and uh, as we'll, we'll cover, a lot of those seats have now been filled. And uh, if ProDrive uh, don't renew with Dave, uh, it's going to get very awkward. And I'd have to suggest that some of the actions after the fine probably did him no favours in terms of the, uh, you know, the corporate love. Um, what I'm thinking of there is that he had... Um, you know, shared links to the, uh, the the crowdsourcing to pay the, the fine. Um, uh, various other things that he's done sort of suggests that the written apology uh, in the press release that, uh, that was put out, where he was very humble and apologetic about the whole thing and uh, fully accepting of the fine, um, maybe that press release wasn't particularly sincere uh, particularly with the uh, supporting the crowdfunding uh, and his girlfriend coming out and being quite vocal about it as well. Um, yeah, it's uh, turned into a, quite a bit of a mess for him. Mm. Stefan, uh, we, we do need to wrap this section up, but is it possible that David Reynolds isn't in the VAT Supercar main game next year? Yes, um, you'd have to say it is possible that that will be the case, but... Yeah, I mean, the, his, his future at ProDrive's been sort of in question for quite some time, separate to that. I don't think the timing of this has, has helped very much at all. Um, but, 
you know, like like most teams, Pro Driver still working hard on on funding their cars for next year. And as everybody knows, they've got Cam Waters there, um, potentially ready to fill that 55 seat. And they're going to get four good looks at him, aren't they? They're going to get four good looks at him at yeah. the Gold Coast, uh, Auckland, Phillip Island, and Sydney. Yeah, well, I mean, he's already done two enduro campaigns with him and uh, two full seasons of DVS. So I reckon uh, if they need to learn anything more about Cam Waters, they're probably not looking hard enough. But um, yeah, the, he seemingly can bring a bit of NZ backing too that had come with him to the team. Um, Pepsi, I'm not sure if they're going to be one car or no cars next year. Um, that's yet to be seen. Um, so Dave's position was was tenuous already. Um, clearly, he would love to stay there with the with the pace the cars have got. There seemed to be an option at Brad Jones Racing for him, which he didn't take. And now Tim Slade has locked himself in there to replace Fabian Coulthard, as BKFA.com revealed only a couple of hours ago. So uh, still a little bit to play out in the silly season. But, yeah, definitely there's a chance that someone like Dave Reynolds could miss out next year altogether. Mm, and what could make it even more remarkable is a good run in four races could have him second in the championship and out of a drive. That's a pretty remarkable achievement. We need to take a break here on Inside Supercars, but there is plenty more when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Stephen Buffalo. Lemayas and Peter Norton. And Peter, Bathurst itself, Craig Lowndes, becomes the six-time winner, but not before Friday. And we see Chas Mostert have what is one of the scarier accidents you've seen at the racetrack for the main series that's racing there. Uh, yes, Craig, it was quite a scary one. Um, I was uh, in the, their pit garage uh, at the time that uh, it happened. And... Um, I'd have to say it was a a surreal experience. Uh, Through the trackside commentary, uh, there were comments that uh, Chaz was uh, alert and talking to them and positive signs like that. But just the look on people's faces made it sound um, like it was really, really bad. Um, Thankfully, it's turned out, uh, uh, while still quite bad, uh, not as nasty as what some of those concerned faces uh, uh, w- were fearing. Um, now, of course, it, um, it ruins his uh, chance at the championship, and of course, uh, it ruined the, the whole Bathurst campaign uh, as well. Um, yeah, th- part of that concern on the faces, I guess, was also for the officials who were, uh, were diving for cover as the car hit the flag marshal post. Um, I guess you'd have to say that uh, you know, the, the steel cages uh, did their job. Uh, it could have been much worse if they were exposed like they were in years gone by. Uh, but, of course, some of that structure also hit some of the guys. So, uh, um, yeah, it, uh, very concerning there for a while. Uh, and 
I have a, a few questions about the you know the control of information and and how uh, everything was communicated because uh, you know social media and the TV broadcast seem to be releasing information uh, before the teams were informed of things officially. Uh, so it was really quite a weird experience. Um, it's also casting a bit of attention into the design of the cars, particularly around the, the cockpit area, to see if they can protect the drivers a little bit better. Uh, it would appear as that uh, uh, Chaz's leg uh, during the, the crash um, has whacked against the, uh, the structure for the gear lever, and yeah, maybe they can uh, you know, protect that area a little bit better. Uh, maybe with something like Erebus use, they have their, their driver safety cell uh, that uh, doesn't have the, you know, the gear lever thing sticking up in a way that uh, are exposed to people's limbs. Uh, so uh, hopefully some good can come of the, the incident, that they uh, improve the, the cars and improve safety a, a little bit more. Stefan, it was quite amazing that the media in the media centre wasn't getting the same information that was perhaps in the bus or going out to the television. In fact, uh, I know there's people who are saying they were getting reports from people who are watching the television coverage that were getting more information than there was being handed out at the track. And as Peter said, that was heightening the impression that there was a catastrophic accident to, well, not so much Chaz because you could see him on the on the in-car cameras and the, the cameras, but to the officials who were certainly, uh, you know, in, in the firing line. Yeah, well, it was it was certainly a very difficult situation and um, certainly for, for me and for everybody else, like, we're used to seeing drivers have big accidents and that moment of, oh, is he okay? And then, thankfully, 99.9% of the time they are and clearly... Chaz, um, it's a horrific injury he's got with the way the, net, uh, the leg uh, snapped there. That's uh, that's no good. But bones like that heal. The thing on this occasion was that um, we none of us knew what what had happened with the officials. That are clearly uh, we're in a bit of trouble there. Once the car rode the wall and started uh, knocking down the structure of the uh, of the marshal's post. So um, that's that's horrendous when nobody down the bottom of the mountain knows what's going on and, and people fear the worst but at the same time that's a very difficult thing for the ad supercars communications team and the event to actually communicate out immediately what's happened because they have to uh, understand and, and verify what's what's actually gone on first um, so I think you know some of the information coming out of the TV was like I think they were the first ones to confirm that Chad had actually broken his leg even though you could sort of see it in the coverage but um that's because they're down there asking Tim Edwards and, like, you don't want a flood of media all all banging the garage down asking the same questions. So some of that stuff kind of just works out naturally. But it was certainly a, an unpleasant feeling for everyone in the paddock, um, not knowing what, what had happened and who had been injured and, and whatnot. Mm. So. You guys at Speed Cafe did get a chance to speak to some of the officials um, and I know there was a, a, a lot of relief when we found out that uh, they were all going to be okay in the long run and some just going to take a bit longer to heal than others. Yeah, definitely. And that, um, obviously for Chaz as well, um, having to now sit out for a long time and the rest of the year and get over his injuries, I mean, 
the fact that uh, if he'd injured anybody else, I know that uh, it would have been a lot different, a lot harder for him to get over. So, uh, yeah, just thank uh, thank goodness that uh, it wasn't worse than it was. Mm. Now, it wasn't the only big crash on the mountain, and it would be remiss whilst we're talking about um, safety. We saw the Aussie racing cars having a horrendous accident there too, Peter, and and it does start to talk about... Bathurst is probably one of the best maintained circuits on the ladder, or on the calendar. Would the result have been the same if we we're at other tracks? And the first one that comes to mind is QR. Um, yeah, interesting point that you raise. Uh, for the Aussie racing car, uh, it was effectively right at the fastest point of the track, um, and. I'm just trying to think of of where in Australia would Aussie racing cars go any faster than that point. And maybe there's uh, a couple of points at Phillip Island that are particularly fast, but uh, most other tracks don't have that just outright speed. Um, Now, as you said, Bathurst has some very good facilities, but the terrain also makes it particularly challenging. Um, It is a mountain. Uh, There are plenty of trees once you uh, uh, get off the track and over the fence. so it is a hazardous environment, but they've done an awful lot to uh, to protect the, the races as much as they can. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to speculate uh, about the pros and cons of the, the, the safety uh, statuses of the different tracks. Mm. Stephen? Yeah, I think the main question out of that um, is probably whether Bathurst is the right place for Aussie racing cars. Um, they, they do look uh, like tremendous fun to drive and they do provide some very entertaining racing on a track like that. But bump drafting down Conrod in cars that are that look pretty sketchy just uh, driving through pit lane at 40 miles an hour um, is probably going to end in disaster and it's, uh, it's a minor miracle that sort of thing hadn't happened beforehand. Um, so when, you, when your brother is bump drafting you at full noise down Conrod, um, you probably can't do too much about it when the rear, rear of it lifts off the ground and you're heading towards the fence. Um, and we've seen time and time again when those Aussie racing cars have a bit of bit of unexpected high-speed yaw that they end up tripping over themselves. And, and when they start getting that rotational inertia going, they uh, they flip quicker than you can count the uh, the rollover. So um, it, it had everything, obviously, that. He ended up over the fence and then it was in flames fortunately quickly uh, extinguished, uh, naturally extinguished. It, it went out by itself by the look of it. Um, and he escaped with, I believe, a punctured lung and some broken ribs. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure there'll be some uh, some analysis done before they commit to bringing those cars back to that track. Yep. Well, we need to take a break. After this, we're going to talk about what was an interesting race here on Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to 
to be doing that. However, I believe for myself uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as best of the cars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and we unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Freeway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Peter Norton and Stefan Bartholomeus. And Stefan, we've got more than halfway through the show, and we haven't talked about the race yet. It's amazing how much goes on in a week at Bathurst, but then it's all culminated by Craig Lowndes winning his sixth, Stephen Richards winning his fourth, and the questions naturally turn to, can Craig Lowndes beat nine? Well... That is a question that only time will answer, but um, it's certainly amazing that um, for quite a while, and obviously his, uh, his early days there in some, some uncompetitive forwards didn't help, but um, he didn't have a great business record, Craig Lowndes. Um, obviously, he started with a bang in 94 with second and then won in 96, and then it took until 06 for him to win his second, and now he's won... His third, you mean? Uh, uh, third? 06 was his third, wasn't it? Um, we might have to debate the uh, the honour roll later or have a double check. But okay. <laughs> e- either way, now he's won five in the last uh, 10 years, um, bringing his total to six. And, and as you say, that's a lot closer to nine than uh, than most most get. So um, Richo's also up to four, as, as you say, uh, which brings uh, the Richards family up to 11, which is... Uh, arguably even more extraordinary. So um, certainly both drivers look like they've got quite a few years left. Jimmy Richards won his last Bathurst at 55 in 2002. So if you go on the odds of uh, Craig's got another another 14 years in him, can he win another three? I'd suggest he probably can. Peter Norton? Uh, I hadn't thought about it that way, of uh, a career going up to 55. And uh, I guess uh, as a, a co-driver... Um, Absolutely, why not? Um, It's funny, if you were asking this question, say, two years ago, where Jamie Wincup was uh, a long way in front in terms of the championships and that kind of thing, uh, Craig Lowndes was looking like he was entering his twilight years as a driver. Um, But hasn't he fought back? Uh, Championship contender, uh, winning Bathurst again. Uh, There's no sign of him slowing down, uh, particularly for the, the longer races and particularly for Bathurst, where he just seems to have that particular affinity with the place. Um, yeah, uh, I think, as Stefan pointed out, uh, the angle I didn't think of, um, he can be a co-driver for many years to come. If he just pairs up with the, the right person, uh, the sky's the limit. Hmm. It's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out when he becomes the third driver at Red Bull Racing Australia, because, sorry, not at Red Bull Racing Australia, at Triple Eight Race Engineering. Um, because obviously that's going to make a new dynamic as well. And uh, it does beg the question, will it be Stephen Richards and Craig Lowndes next year if uh, they stay on, Stefan? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it's unlikely that it change. Um, the thing is that if he becomes what we're calling the third driver, he doesn't have to share a pit boom with, uh, with Jamie Winkup which uh, could actually help him in enduros. Or could help so, Jamie. It could help Jamie, although uh, a certain S. Van Gisbergen is pretty quick too. So, um, yeah, stacking's obviously the talk of the town every every year in enduros in particular, although it's clearly a problem in, 
in pretty much every every race these days, certainly all the Sunday races. And we saw dramatically on Sunday, again, with uh, Jamie had thought, oh, I'm going to have to stack here. So he ignored team instructions and went around again and blazed past the safety car. Um, so, yeah, very dramatic. It was, and it was an interesting one because Garth Tander had a remarkable lap behind the safety car, not to lose any positions when he did eventually pit a lap later, Peter. Um, yes, it's something I, I didn't really uh, uh, notice at the time, but, it, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to watch the TV replay with a, a keen eye there that uh, yeah, Garth Tander seems to have not lost any anything particularly uh, out of staying out, um, whereas, of course, Jamie Wincup was a much higher profile uh, with the drive-through penalty and everything for uh, for passing the, the safety car, as you suggested. Um yeah, the, the whole stacking thing does become a pickle, and uh, uh, if, I, I suppose if you were Roland Dane, you'd be scratching your head that uh, Jamie Wincup in the box seat to win Bathurst two years in a row, and not following instructions, have thrown away both of them. Uh, now, what I found interesting in the uh, uh, the explanation by Jamie was that uh, he only heard part of the radio. He only heard the part about pit now. He says he didn't hear safety car pit now. Um, every couple of hundred metres, there was a, an official holding out a SC board. So for Jamie not to be aware that there was a safety car at that point in time seems just a, a little bit unusual. I, Stefan, I know you spoke to him as I did after the race, he didn't. He didn't even try to uh, give me an excuse. He just said, "I made the wrong decision." He didn't. He just said, "I made the wrong decision." Um, I don't know whether you got a different story to that. Well, I think it was uh, it was pretty hard for him to be saying anything else. To be honest, um, anything else would have been pretty see through. Um, yeah, so. He certainly wasn't in the box seat to win the race, I don't think, but he was in the box seat to be P2. Uh, it would have been hard to get around Craig, I think, after the restart uh, because it was, as we saw all day, it was kind of the, well, not all day maybe, but the team of the race was when all the A drivers were in. It was so hard to pass. Um, in days gone by, we've seen races that not much happens in the first two-thirds, three-quarters, and then in the end it gets crazy. This one, there was quite a bit of action for most of it. And then once all the guns were in, you couldn't really do anything about track positions. So, um, yeah, Jamie, two years in a row to uh, to not follow the team instruction. Obviously, last year it was fuel, and that clearly cost him victory. This year, I don't think you can really say it cost him victory. It cost him a shot at victory, but um, he was pretty done either way. He would have had to stack behind Craig and maybe well, you'd have to look at it, but restart P10 or something, from which you can drag a top five or or so from. But, uh, yeah, he was he was toast. And if you've got to take a step further back then and look at the fact that PD struggled a bit for whatever reason in his last stint, and Craig got the track position on him then, which um, is what then set up the, the disaster at the end of the day. So... Um, it's a tough old race. We saw at Sandown only a couple of weeks earlier that um, Frosty was tucked up right behind Chaz coming towards the pit entry when the safety car was called mid-race. And Frosty actually ignored a team order to stay out and he pitted, which ended up basically winning in the race. So 
it's a very, very fine line between looking like a complete guru, like Mark did at uh, Sandown, and having the whole whole world questioning uh, your decision-making like it was for Jamie at Bathurst. Mm. Well, second place at Bathurst was Mark Winterbottom, Peter, and he looked completely out of lunch. At one stage, I think he was the last car on the leader's lap, and he's come back to finish second. That's a remarkable effort to uh, claw their way back up the field. Um, what a troubled first half of a race they had. A very poor start, um, flopping around sort of uh, you know, mid-pack at the best. They had electrical problems, um, which led to a black flag to uh, address the, uh, the lack of uh, brake lights, I understand. Uh, they stayed out an extra couple of laps and attracted a 15-second penalty uh, for ignoring the, uh, the black flag. Um, but through some clever strategy, bingo, pops up as a contender and uh, you know, gets that second position. Uh, in some respects, they'd have to think uh, you know, that's almost as good as a win compared to where they were around lunchtime. Stefan, uh, is it safe to say that uh, Jamie Winkup backing up the field on the restart was a contributor to what happened to David Reynolds on that restart, which saw him punted back down the field? Well, when you say backing up the field, the, field, the instruction was, uh, Jamie, save a bit of fuel across the top, please. So uh, why you'd need to save fuel when you clearly fuel to the end? Are you suggesting that he was deliberately backing the field up? I think I just uh, said that. <laughs> yeah, like um, that, that did appear to uh, cause perhaps a bit more aggravation than, uh, than naturally would have happened otherwise. But, um, yeah, obviously the drivers that came out on the wrong end of that weren't that pleased, but for the spectator... It was a bit more entertainment than we would have got otherwise. Obviously, it allowed um, Craig to sort of get that two and a half, three second gap. Then that Frosty was never able to to recover. Um, they were both pressing on so hard in the last um, in the last fifteen odd laps. There, just punching out mid to low sevens, um, which was uh, impressive by Frosty that he was taking the risks on that. As you were sort of saying before with Peter, they. The track position play they made was to actually pit early um, for slicks when the track was still pretty greasy, and that jumped them. They, they tried a few strategic things during the day before that that just never quite bounced for them, and then they had to make the most of that opportunity. Mm. Frosty certainly did a good job. As we all know, whenever, you, whenever you're the pioneer on slicks, you can uh, look like a dunce pretty quickly. Yeah, It so, was, um, it was interesting because Van Gizzer's team were, talking about bringing him in at exactly the same time and Giz up on the top of the mountain said, guys, there's fresh rain on my window and that that stalled him. So, yeah, and that, and that second shower never never really came that we were all waiting for to, to spice it up again. Um, it, it was a shame, obviously, for the techno guys. They, uh, they got uh, snookered there um, and Scotty Pye was doing a magic job there before the rain came down and, and grabbed the track position on them. And, of course, they share a boom. Um, Webby, in hindsight, um, probably should have done the extra lap. If you remember when it did start really coming down, Jamie was pretty much the only one of the lead cars to press on the extra lap on the slick before going to the wet. And he actually got a, got a time advantage out of doing that. Um, but Webby pitted with field and then had the double problem of stacking, and he was one lap short on his co-driver laps. So from that point, even though obviously Shane is uh, is quite the guru in the wet conditions, they were pretty much done. Mm. 
Now, just going back to that uh, situation where Tanda and um, Wing Cup both went past, uh, went an extra lap. Jamie Wing Cup's lap was a two minute fifteen, and Garth Tander's lap on that was a two minute twenty one. It does seem, if you picked up the pace car at the top of the circuit, a bit quick, Stefan. Yeah, so I would have to um, double check it, but from my understanding, uh, so this is the this is the final safety car we're talking about. I gather. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so from my understanding, um, GT did the right thing and actually slowed and waited, and then the safety car gave him the green light um, to go because Jamie, the leader, had already gone, even though that wasn't in the in the script for the safety car. Um, so that's how Garth was able to then go around um, pit and uh, come out in a position where he could then, then fight at the end. But, yeah, the, the problem of, of people going really hard, as soon as the safety car's called, it's, it's maximum maximum attack because that triggers the pit cycle, um, which, is, which is certainly against the ethos of the safety car, but it's a problem we see, we see frequently. Mm. Well, a break, and then more here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bolt Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Peter Norton, Stefan Bartholomew and... Well, we talked about comments made about the Harvey Norman Racing Team, which I think is the more appropriate name for that effort, Peter. But um, after an unfortunate incident early in the race, uh, Simona Di Silvestro started putting in some very, very solid times in what effectively was a rebuilt car. Yes, uh, I think Simona conducted herself very well across the the whole weekend. Um, So I popped in and out of the, the different pit garages, uh, even through the adversity of uh, her teammate uh, uh, bringing the car in all, all bent up, um, there was the initial look of shock on her face, but then she was able to smile and um, you know, get on with it. Uh, I think she was uh, you know, grateful for the opportunity and uh, appreciated being there, and she made the most of it. Uh, and the, her driving ability was, was right up there. Uh, of course, it took her a while to learn the car, learn the circuit, and uh, you know, learn endurance racing. Um, I'm looking forward to her returning next year and being the next step up again. Mm. Stefan, what was your thought on the, the Harvey Norman team? Yeah, like I think um, most people expected that, um, after all, Simona is a professional racing car driver with a fair bit of experience in, in other categories, including the likes of IndyCar. So while she didn't have, didn't have Tintop experience or Bathurst experience, she's a professional that was always going to start out slowly and build build confidence through the sessions and uh, and pick the pace up um, and that's exactly what she did and um, Renee was always going to be the, the weak link I guess um, 
and that said, with all due respect, I mean, she's only a couple of years out of carts and has sort of been thrown in the deep end a fair bit along the way in Carrera Cup and, and DVS. So um, she was certainly a lot less credentialed um, than, than Simona to, to go in a race like the Bathurst 1000. So um, it'd be good to see actually Simona come back and, and do a bit more if they can run a wild card here or there. Um, it's certainly... David Reynolds' comments aside, it, it had brought a lot of attention to the race beforehand. And um, as we've seen with Danica Patrick in NASCAR, it can really, uh, really open up the fan base having uh, having a female competitor. And the reason why there there aren't more of them, I think, is just it starts at the very the very bottom of um, not enough young girls want to go karting. So go, not enough of them are, are good enough to sort of make it through through the top rungs. Mm. One of the things that I noticed, and uh, that's when it really clicked for me that uh, the whole campaign was a great idea, was at one of the autograph sessions where I could see uh, mothers and daughters lined up and uh, you know, get the daughter in there, take a photo. You know, he was a role model, or two role models, uh, for, for, for the young girls. Uh, and you know, it was seen as a positive thing. And that has to be great for the sport. Yeah, indeed. It's going to be interesting to see how... Rene can develop over the next 12 months and obviously uh, Simona with that experience now will come back even even better prepared for what and, and understanding of what she uh, is going to have to deal with. Um, I, I unfortunately didn't get a chance to speak to Simona after the race but I would have been very interesting to uh, get her perspective on uh, how misogynistic she thought Australia was based on what happened. Stefan. What, uh, what can I say to that? I didn't actually speak to her after the race either, but um, I think all they could have really done after after that was uh, just pretty well ignore it. Like, as, as we said right at the top, really, of the show, that um, the irony was that, um, you know, Dave's comment was, it was a loose comment, and it certainly didn't come across as having any malice, and he was actually, as being part of ProDrive, helping them along the way, so... Um, I think they just would have taken it for what it was. Another true um, true irony, I guess, is not the right word, but I'll use it anyway, is that Dick Johnson made some comments about uh, the team, and Dick Johnson's car was the car immediately below theirs, which had DNF written against it, unlike the Harvey Norman car that said 21st place. I think uh, just to jump in, the David Reynolds comment was made in a press conference that a lot of people heard. The Dick Johnson comments were written in one outlet that were not heard by anyone but the journalist who then wrote them down. So, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't know how much credit we can put in what Dick Johnson allegedly uh, was trying to get across there, but it may not have come out like he uh, he'd intended. Okay, and uh, we will take a break on that note and be back with more here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. 
Uh, we were able to beat the two level to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Well, there was so much more we could talk about. We didn't really talk about Fabian Coulthard going to Dick Johnson Racing, and it looks now na- Dick Johnson Team Penske Racing. I've even got that wrong. And uh, and the possibility that Scott Pye will be in a second car, which then leaves the whole Team Super Black uh, scenario up in the air. I don't know, Stefan, is, are you hearing anything like Super Black might be to HRT or to Walkinshaw? Um, I, I don't 100% know what Super Black are doing, but um, as we all know, there's a lot more wrecks around than there is fully funded entries, and Super Black have committed to funding an entry. So uh, I would suggest that um, they have a plan well sorted. One of the entries that's not funded, um, is the current 47 because Super Cheaper off to ProDrive and uh, Tim, Tim Slade's obviously off to Brad Jones. Um, I was surprised that, at Bathurst that um, uh, Adrian Burgess, Managing Director at Walkinshaw Racing, was absolutely adamant that uh, uh, Walkinshaw's will run four cars next year because a lot of people are expecting for that wreck to move on. So there's, there's a little bit to shake out with a few wrecks yet. Um, Obviously, the early deadline that's this week for entries next year is uh, is really uh, making people have to scramble to do some deals. You don't have to sort out your driver and all your funding, but to commit to running it. Um, there's not many motor racing championships in the world. I don't reckon that you have to commit to next season before this one's even done its last four events. But uh, that's, that's a long conversation, maybe best left for another program. <laughs> Indeed. So a final thought whilst you're on a roll, here's Stephen Bartholomew. Um, yeah, obviously, we, we probably haven't spent enough time talking about the race in this, uh, in this show. So um, just to pick one thing out from that, um, obviously, leading to that last safety car, the last round of stops, it had turned into a two pro-drive cars, which was Reynolds, Winterbottom, and then two triple eight lounge and wing cup. And Reynolds had a sort of a three second lead, but he probably needed needed five or so over Craig to come out in front. Um, with the way it worked out with the with the fuel load they needed to take on at the last stop. So in hindsight, I couldn't help but wonder if Frosty had backed up the Red Bull cars a little bit, which wasn't all that hard to do in a race that's was quite hard to pass in, and obviously you can do it pretty much from the cutting through to Forest Elbow. If he had been instructed, if he'd bled two or three, four seconds out of the Triple Eight boys in that last second last stint, um, the Bottolo car would have popped out of the last round of stops in the lead. But of course, you can you can eyeball reverse engineer a motor race infinitely after the checkered flag, um, and they wouldn't have wanted to do that because it would have probably popped Mark out further back in the top 10 and they've got a championship to think about and all of that sort of stuff. And you can probably debate the morals of it too, but I couldn't help but think that they had they had track position with two cars and would Triple Eight have used that to their advantage? The uh, last restart suggested they probably would have. Mm. Peter Norton, your final thought or observation? Uh, every year people make the bold claim that Bathurst is a 1,000-kilometre sprint. Uh, and yet again we saw that... Uh, that's not necessarily the case. It's about 
making sure you got the track position ready for that final safety car. And it really becomes a lottery. What if one year there isn't the final safety car? David Reynolds wins. <laughs> uh, David Reynolds, uh, in, in something I read today, uh, he admitted that uh, all of the other distractions in the days leading up meant that he didn't quite get the car tuned the way they wanted and they had two uh, corners that were their weak link. Uh, so uh, I think he concedes that uh, you know, the whole week sabotaged his uh, race effort. I don't think he could have won. Mm. I'm wondering what's happening with James Moffat He's two meetings now without the new power plant and he's still not re-signed. And as we mentioned, the dance card is filling up. Could, could he find himself without a seat? One thing's for sure, I don't think Dave Reynolds is going back to uh, the Kellys organisation anytime soon. That's all we have time for Inside Supercars this week. Peter Norton, thanks for your time. Thank you, Craig. It's always fun. Stefan, those exclusives, I'm looking forward to having you back on the show for more. Thanks, Craig. Always a pleasure. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.